Good morning, everybody. My name is Aaron Stern. If you're brand new with us, I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so glad that you've joined us. Wonderful to gather with everyone here and for everybody online. Can we give a big warm welcome for all that are live streaming today? We're thankful that you're here with us via technology and look forward to when you're able to be here in person. Um, we are wrapping up. Uh, next week will be the final installment of our series that we started at the beginning of February this year on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I was talking to somebody after the first gathering and I said, I'm kind of lamenting and sad it's coming to a close. Thankfully, you can keep reading it uh, beyond this and re-listen messages, all that. Uh, and, 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 but I want to let you know that starting in November, once we finish this series, all four Sundays in November is the series At the Movies. And so, yeah, if you've been around, uh, you know what the At the Movies is. If you're brand new and haven't yet experienced At the Movies, it is a series where we take modern day stories in movies and draw out the redemptive messages uh, that apply to life in relationship to Jesus in His way. And so um, it's a really fun series, and it's an easy series to invite a friend to. And so uh, would you be just praying and thinking about who it is that you might invite? And maybe it's the person you've invited before and they said no, but maybe this time they will. You never know who is one invite away from life, life transformation. So uh, grab one of these cards or in your seat back or grab a couple. And uh, not only for your own fridge or for your own reminding, but pick uh, one, at least one up as a, this is my invitation card. I am going to give this away. I am going to give this to someone. And, uh, and so pick one up, take it on your way out today, and it starts in two weeks. So if you look in the news, we find Ukraine and Russia, uh, oftentimes the headline or towards the top, and we have uh, what land is being taken and where it's going and what's happening. But then we have what's happening in Russia and we have what's happening in the rest of Europe. And then you have the conversation about NATO and the threat of nuclear war and all the different things related to that. We have Iran if you, uh, uh, and we have what's happening in terms of protests. We also have what that means for the region, the Middle East, countries around it, and what anybody else in the world is doing in regard to it. China and Taiwan... We have some tensions rising there, uh, things that are happening. North Korea, uh, uh, not too long ago, shot a missile over Japan. Uh, that was a big deal. Um, Hurricane Ian was in the news uh, recently. Of course, those in the southeast experienced the devastation of a hurricane and lost houses, belongings, and there's rebuilding and costs and all of those kinds of things. Gas prices, food prices, lumber prices house prices, inflation, job market, all the stuff, the stock market up and down. Elections coming. We have local, state, national elections happening in relationship to all different types of political positions and parties and all the things that that means. I mean, I know nobody cares about elections, you know, these days, but... Um, <laughs> and, then, and then we have school shootings. And, and uh, I, I saw in the news the other day about an airplane, a smaller plane that, that crashed into a car lot in Missouri, I think it was. And anybody feeling just a little overwhelmed? This is just the headlines. You know, we could keep going. <laughs> You're welcome. And, <laughs> and we can feel overwhelmed. We can feel like uh, maybe even a bit anxious. And, 
because there's so much. And we live in the information age because we have so much information coming to us that we didn't always have in the past. We have not just on the evening news, and you decide whether or not you're going to watch the evening news. It's, it's 24-7 access, and we actually carry it around in our pockets. We have access to it. It's being pushed. It's, 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 it, if you work, have a computer, it's in you know, all the ways in which, if you don't have a computer, I, anyway. So, um, <laughs> but the information and news we used to always get in, you know, decades ago was local and personal only. But now it has become global and distant. And it's an avalanche. And an avalanche of all this information, we hear it. Sometimes we're moved by it. Wow, that is, we care. And then we don't do anything about it. And that isn't because we don't care or it doesn't matter. It's just sometimes it's because we, we can't actually do anything about it. Or we you're doing something about this, but we, we just can't do anything, everything, something about everything. But oftentimes we just hear it and we don't do anything. Neil Postman, author and sociologist as well as technology critic, calls this a low information to action ratio. He writes in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, the tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold used as a form of entertainment, or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, disconnected from usefulness. We are glutted with information, drowning in information. We have no control over it and don't know what to do with it. The reality is, is that we, we hear this information that is global and distant, and it gets us into a place where we hear it, maybe are moved by it and don't do anything about it, which also can mean we hear and and are moved by but don't do anything about what we can actually do something about. It used to be that, that, uh, you know, somebody's cow got out and what would we do? We'll go help look for the cow. (laughs) We're in the last portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is wrapping up his teachings with four warnings. And this is the fourth of these four warnings. And he ends with a, in a traditionally Jewish way, which was to end with a story or a parable. And so we find that in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a crash. Jesus is advocating for a high information to action ratio. Uh, You've heard my teachings. He just went through all these teachings, and now he's saying, you need to act on them. We just don't want to hear it in one ear and out the other. Profound. Jesus is saying, don't just hear it, do it. He's also saying, you wouldn't give this warning if, if hearing and not doing wasn't a possibility. In other words, we can be tempted, or we can find ourselves around 
the teachings of Jesus. We can like the teachings of Jesus. We can be moved by the teachings of Jesus. We can actually believe in the teachings of Jesus and not do the teachings of Jesus. And so he's saying, beware of that happening. He's saying following Jesus is a way of life, not an idea to embrace, not a perspective or a worldview only, not a set of beliefs to quote, but a a, a life that is an all-in life. Like if you want the, a flourishing life that I'm talking about here, it is all in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German martyr and author during World War II, wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, which a good portion of it goes through the Sermon on the Mount. And when he talks about this last warning, he says, Jesus does not allow his hearers to go away and make of his sayings what they will picking and choosing from them whatever they find helpful, and testing them to see if they work. He doesn't mean that they are to be discussed as an ideal. He really means us to get on with it, to do it. And Jesus calls in this parable those who don't do what he teaches foolish. This word foolish in the Greek is the word morose, or as, which is where we get our word moron. So, Those who hear the teachings of Jesus and don't do them are morons, stupid, or unintelligent. Now, notice in this parable that he doesn't say why someone would hear the teachings of Jesus and not do them. It could be that they're busy. It could be that it's just really inconvenient. It could be that that it's too hard. It's really brilliant of Jesus to not include the why, because what he's hoping for each one of us to do is to find ourselves in the story. Oftentimes what we do is find other people in the story. We're like, this is you. I know who I'm going to send this message to. But Jesus calls those who do what he teaches wise, which means smart, intelligent, thoughtful. Now, Maybe many of you, if you've been around the Bible or been around church for a while, have heard a message on this particular talk or, or, or passage, or, or maybe you grew up in Sunday school and you, you learned the song about the rains coming down and the, and the water going up and, and the flood and the, and the houses falling, whether they're on the rock or the sand. But, and maybe in that you heard, like, oh, you need to build your house on the rock, which is Jesus. But the reality is that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a a, a Christian or a non-Christian. He's talking about a wise or foolish follower. Because the rock is not Jesus. It is Jesus' teachings and whether or not we do them. And so, so what he's saying is, you can hear this great message, his sermon, and say, oh, that's so good, Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, Jesus. Mm, Wave the hanky. Yes, Jesus. Mm. Preach it. Preach it, brother. Come on now. Which I, I think we should get a little more of that going on in here. Can we just? Yeah, thank you very much. And you could say all those things, and you could be moved by those things, and you could get goosebumps about those things, and you could feel awesome about those things, and then go home and nothing changes. You can, you can memorize and read the Bible. You can, you can analyze the Bible. You can like the Bible. You can post a beautiful picture of your Bible next to a latte with the beautiful scenery in the background. 
and as Jesus would say, be a moron. <laughs> you can analyze the Bible, and I wonder sometimes if we don't analyze it to actually avoid it. Right? Like, like Jesus says, forgive, but you're like, well, uh, you know, I, do you realize what that person did to me? And do you know how they're often they're doing it to me? And do you realize like how deeply I've been impacted and how that has ruined my life kind of thing? So, you know, like I'm, I'm I mean, does that really? Or, or maybe Jesus is talking about rest and we hear about Sabbath and we're like, well, I don't know, is that an Old Testament thing? And does that really mean 24 hours? And, and, and what day of the week does that really mean? I mean, they did it in the Old Testament on Saturday as Jewish, you know, now Sunday, does it matter? Can you do it on Wednesday, uh, you know, or Friday, Saturday in the Old Testament? So, you know, and, and, but then you don't do, you know, you don't rest. Or, or maybe in terms of giving and generosity and you start thinking about or talking about tithing and, and you're like, well, that's an Old Testament thing and, you know, the Old Testament 10%, but Jesus really wants all of you. And are we talking net or are we talking gross? Uh, you know, what about, uh, you know, this, what about when I get a tax refund? You know, like how, how does that all work? And, you know, does it really, you know, every person I've ever had that conversation with, they're never giving anywhere close to 10%, if even a percentage at all. Analyzing to avoid. If you've been around Mill City for a while, you've heard me say, we don't just want to be a Bible-believing church. Our goal is to be a Bible-living church. What am I talking about? Being a high information-to-action church, to hear the teachings of Jesus and live out the teachings of Jesus. Otherwise, we're like my kids sometimes. If you're a parent, you can relate to this. Did you hear, you know, you don't see them doing what you asked them to do. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Okay, great. Um, well, we got part one down. You got to hear it, so we do need to know the teachings of Jesus. We do need to know what it is that's being asked of us or what it looks like for us to live into the kingdom of God. But just like my kids, like, okay, great, you just heard me say take out the trash, but you didn't do it, so you might as well not hurt me. Meaning we can be a low information to action person. We can know the Bible. We can know the teachings of Jesus and gossip, judge. Just keep things peaceful and be a peacekeeper and not a peacemaker. And that would be reflected in the Pharisees in Jesus' first century day. It would look like those who did the right things, but something was missing. See, success in the kingdom of God is obedience. Obedience to the teachings of Jesus, which is why we pray and we see Jesus saying, I, not my will, but your will be done. What does Jesus say? I only do what the Father is doing. I'm, I'm doing the will of the Father. If you love me, Jesus says in John 14, then you keep my commands. Now you might be like, hey, I was here last week and Dr. Hud, who by the way, if you missed last week, Dr. Hud crushed it. Uh, you should totally go and listen or watch. He was like, well, it's about the heart. It is. And you're like, aren't you saying the opposite thing here and you just got to do it? Well, they all go together. It's the reason there's not just one warning, there's four. Because yes, is he asking for our heart? Absolutely. But what he's also saying then 
is I can have your heart and you can also then end up not doing anything. Now here's the thing about this particular parable. You can't tell the difference between the two houses. They look great from the outside. They look great from a distance. They look the same. You might have the same life. You might have the same job or you might go to a similar type job. Drink coffee from the same hoity-toity coffee shop. Go to the same church. Be in a be in a city group, read your Bible, and have your life built on sand. Why? Not because you don't love Jesus or do Jesus things, but because you're not putting into practice the things that Jesus is teaching. See, our culture celebrates the size of the house, but Jesus celebrates the quality of the foundation. <laughs> that was good. See, we can see what the house looks like on the top, but we can't see the foundation. And if you do know anything about foundations, they're pretty ugly. They're not very wonderful looking to look at. They're actually not all that fun to make. I mean, you know, if there's, depending on the soil and all the stuff, it's, they're, they're not very pretty, and they're not always very easy to make, but they make all the difference in the world for the rest of the house. So following Jesus and the foundation of following Jesus isn't always really exciting, doesn't always look pretty, isn't always something that, that uh, we're like, oh, that's what I want to do. And it's the things that do, not everybody sees. The, sometimes the mundane. But you're going to take a moment in the morning, just going to sit with Jesus, silence and solitude. Nobody knows if you do that or not. Do you really give? Nobody knows that. Or maybe only a couple. Do you really read the scripture? Do you really open your heart and confess? Allow the Holy Spirit to examine? Are you able to step into and make peace even in a difficult relationship? So you can't tell the difference between the two houses until the storm comes. It's when the storm comes that we know what kind of foundation that house has. And here's the thing. The storm comes to the foolish builder and to the wise builder. It comes to the moron and to the thoughtful person. It's not like, oh, if you're foolish, the storms are going to come to you. No, if you're foolish, they're coming, and if you're wise, they're coming. There is not a If you follow Jesus, everything's going to be fine. The storms won't come. See, Jesus' way does not lead you out of hardship, but through hardship. He leads us through the diagnosis. He leads us through the loss. He leads us through the relational fractures. He leads us through the worry and the anxiety. He leads us through the the job loss or the financial hardship. He leads us through. The storms will shake the house of your life to the core and reveal what your life is actually built on. Storms reveal. They reveal foundations. If your life is built on popularity, when you experience rejection, your your life crumbles. If your life is built on financial success, 
when there's a downturn in the economy or some sort of change or some sort of other things that comes along and things are tight or things are, you, you, you're on the verge of bankruptcy, what's happening? Your internal world is absolutely crumbling. You can put a smile on the outside, but on the inside, everything is crumbling. If your hope and your foundation is on political gain or political, a political party or a politician, when that person or that party loses, the world crumbles. If your life was built on pleasure, doing whatever you want, 2020 was probably crushing. The storms of 2020 came and they exposed a foundation that says, my life is built on me doing whatever I want. And it fell. Matthew ends the Sermon on the Mount with this description by saying, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Teachers of the law would have been the scribes, the Pharisees. And they were amazed, it says, but they were amazed for two reasons. One, the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law in their day, referred to others' authority. In other words, they would have regularly said, Rabbi so-and-so, and referred to some other rabbi in, in the past. And so they would have, would have referenced other people and other people's authority. The religious teachers taught by authority while Jesus taught with authority. That was amazing to them. That was revolutionary. For him not to say, and he doesn't say anywhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Rabbi so-and-so said. No, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So there was an authority to what he was saying that did communicate he's God. But the religious leaders not only taught by authority, they also looked one way on the outside, but lived another way. Jesus, on the other hand, his exterior and his interior life matched. There was integrity. It is when our teaching and our life match that we, and that we live in integrity that we actually can speak with authority. And so, Jesus lived what he said. He said and, and that people in the kingdom of God are meek. Jesus was meek. Jesus was encouraging his followers to love their enemies. Jesus loved his enemies and proved it in the most great way by giving his life away on the cross, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. Jesus was a man not of the sword, but of the cross and sacrifice. He lived nonviolence. He didn't just say, oh, come on, let's all get along. He actually made peace. And he made peace not only between others, but also specifically between us and God. He was generous with his entire life. The things that he called and calls each one of us to, he doesn't just say, oh, do this. He actually says, if you want to see what it looks like, look at me. I like how Eugene Peterson says it in the message version of the Bible. He says, it was apparent that he was living everything he was saying. Quite a contrast to their religion teachers. But being amazed at the teachings of Jesus is not the same as doing them. We can be amazed. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's an amazing passage. Wow, that's an amazing teaching. Wow, that's incredible. Wow, and I'm actually moved by that. And I love that, but loving something, talking about something is not the same as doing it. 
Which is why at the end of every message, we always have a weekly practice. The weekly practice and the vision behind it is to give action to teaching. I want us to make sure that we hear this clearly. Action's important, but you can't act on something you don't know. So teaching is important too. So, so we need to make sure that we don't just hear teaching, but that we are going to ask the question, what am I going to do with what I just heard? So, so we put a weekly practice into the end of the message or somewhere in the message so that we can put into action so that the teaching actually reflects something in our lives. This particular idea has been a catalyst in my personal transformation and, for, and spiritual formation. That we would say, I, want, I, wanna, I, don't, I, want, I don't want to be anxious. Wouldn't it be great if it was just, oh, Jesus said don't be anxious. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know that I shouldn't be anxious, but Jesus says don't be anxious. Oh, no problem. I mean, if it was that easy, if it was just about hearing the teaching and somehow making a mental tweak, we all would be incredible. But instead, I still lack patience at times. Instead, I still get anxious at times. Instead, I find myself being less generous. And maybe it's those things or maybe it's something else for you. But just hearing it, believing it, thinking it isn't the whole picture. We need to now take those things and put them into practice. Sometimes we might say, okay, I'm going to be more generous. How can we do that then? I don't know if you remember the weekly practice when we talked about generosity. I said, evaluate your budget. Like, this is a personal practice we've got to do. Put it into your budget. Ask yourself, what would it take for me to tithe? Like, it's the practice to start working generosity into our lives. Spiritual practice, spiritual formation to make us more generous. So, the weekly practice makes it so that the goal is not just to inform, but to transform. In our world today, transformation, the, the, the formula, if you will, for transformation is information, oftentimes matched with inspiration plus willpower equals transformation. But if that was all it took, information plus like, come on, I'm going to do it, I think we'd all have done it by now. I mean, I love the idea, and I am very inspired to be in better shape. And I, 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 I kind of try. Right? I mean, just have, being inspired, just having information, even my willpower doesn't even, doesn't even do the whole thing. The way of the kingdom is information. We need the, we need the teachings of Jesus, the way of God. Hopefully there's an inspiration like, oh yeah, I should, I should do that. Plus willpower, plus community, plus the Holy Spirit equals transformation. The Sermon on the Mount is written in a, uh, a, a way that we don't have really in our culture. It's written in the plural you, the, the plural individual. It, the best translation we have is, in Colorado, you guys, or in the South, y'all. So it's not you, Ellie, go be the light of the world. 
right? Adrian, go be the salt of the earth. No, it's, it's y'all, all y'all, <laughs> not from the South. So all y'all seems doubly repetitive. Hey, you guys, meaning you guys, all y'all go be, are the light of the world. So weekly practice is about all y'all, all of us guys <laughs> and girls, doing this together because we are all together following the way of Jesus. So sometimes the way that, see, hopefully what this does is, I, I think sometimes people have a tendency to overestimate Sundays. Like, oh, I just need Sundays. Sunday's where it's all out, all at. I just need the teaching. I need to have an encounter with Jesus. Callie and the team, uh, uh, Rose, Jill, just fabulous. And I'm like, that's it. I just need my God encounter. That's going to carry me through the week. Then others are like, ah, church. You know, it's just, you know, I don't need to repeat the whining. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> and they're like, all I need is me, my Bible, Jesus. Maybe a couple of friends, I'm good. No, we need both. We need the teaching and we need the the action and we need the people around us on the everyday to walk it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So weekly practice for this week, read the Sermon on the Mount daily. We did this a couple of weeks ago. Do it again. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it every day. But this is what I want you to do. And ask, I want you to ask a question. What do I struggle to do? Can you be honest? Honest. Honesty is the foundation for intimacy. Can we be honest? God, I, I just, man, I, I really struggle not to be anxious. God, I struggle not to counterpunch, to respond to insult with insult. God, I really struggle to actually like get into a tough conversation in order to like make peace. I just want to be, can we all just be fine? And just what do you struggle to do? And maybe if a particular passage or instruction of Jesus comes up again, go back, listen. listen. We've covered every portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to that message again. Maybe there's a weekly practice. There is a weekly practice of that one. Then maybe you need to lean into that. So we have the teachings of Jesus. This is how Jesus sends the Sermon on the Mount. We have, you have my teachings. Now what are you going to do with them? And he's asking the same question of us today. What are we going to do with them? So together we want to know it. That's why we want to keep reading it. And we want to do it for different ones of us. It's going to mean some different things, but let's lean into that together. And for each one of us, we also have individual steps, just like there's going to be individual things that we struggle with in the Sermon on the Mount. But there's different things that the Holy Spirit's leading us to. Maybe for you it's to, to step into community, into the y'all. Step into a y'all group also known as a city group. EHR starts this next week. You can jump in. There's a group for you. There's a y'all group. Maybe we need to rename them. You guys groups. Maybe for you here today, it's to say, I need to follow Jesus. Like, like I want to follow his teachings, which means you follow the one who taught them. And so 
the step for you is to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. If that's you here today, would you just cross the line of faith by simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. Or another way of saying it is, Jesus, I trust you. I trust what you say. I trust who you are. And I'm going to follow and do what you say. You have my heart. I give it to you. It's not the only thing that you need to say to God, but it's an amazing first thing to say to God. It's the beginning of a journey, beginning of a relationship, beginning of transformation, which will last for the rest of all of our lives. Together we want to take a step together in remembering and being reminded of Jesus and his ultimate way of expressing everything he taught to us, and that is by taking communion together. As you walked in today, you should have received a communion cup. If you did not, for whatever reason, you can just raise your hand and one of our host team will make their way to you. Keep your hand up and they'll make sure that you get one of the communion cups. We practice here what we call open communion, which means that if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you just said yes to Jesus a moment ago, we encourage you to participate with us. It's not about being a member in one particular church. It's about belonging to the family of God. If you choose not to participate with us today, that is okay. The scripture also says before we participate in communion together that we're to examine ourselves. And so we want to take just a moment as, uh, as the music is playing softly just to, to open our hearts, to open our, our lives to Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit, search me and know me. Is there any anxious or offensive way? Is there any way maybe that you'd say, I, I know where I've heard it but not done it. You just open your heart, your life toward God, and then confess, humble yourself before God, repent. Scripture makes it clear that everyone is in need of the grace of God. And so together we want to say a confessional prayer because it reminds us that we're a y'all and it puts us in a place of humility. Confession cultivates humility in our lives. It's not about us thinking, oh my gosh, I'm such a mess. We need to be honest about that and aware But confession is less about us somehow wallowing in our weakness, but more about us being reminded of God's mercy. And that we all together are in desperate need of the mercy and grace of God. And that there's not one of us in here, me included, that doesn't need God's grace. And not one of us in here is in less or more need than another. And so let's pray this confessional prayer that's on the screen together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, Have mercy on us. 
and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, had a meal with his disciples. And at that meal, at the end of the meal, he broke bread. If you would, take the bread. You can peel off the top layer of the cup and that will give you access to the bread. And it says that he had given thanks. He broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When Jesus did this with his disciples, he was foreshadowing what was about to happen for all of us. It's a reminder of what did happen. And so we are reminded when we take the bread of the way that Jesus' body was beaten in the way that he was hung on a cross. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced with nails to hang him on the cross. His head pierced with the crown of thorns. His back whipped. His side stabbed with a spear. Broken for us. So that we might experience wholeness. So let's take the bread together. says in the same way after supper he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me Jesus spilled a lot of blood on the cross and that blood communicates the way that the blood of the lamb wiped away sin and so we remember the forgiveness of sins Now, the beautiful thing in the Old Testament is that before Jesus, they went to the temple and a lamb was slaughtered in order to bring about and wash them clean. Jesus was the Lamb of God and the final sacrifice. And what happened on that day 2,000 years ago, we're not just kind of remembering this thing in the past. Actually, in Jewish thought, remembering is about bringing the past and bringing it, pulling it into the present. So when we take communion, we are remembering and we are pulling the grace and the power of what happened on that day into our present lives. Forgiveness, wholeness, health, healing, flourishing of life. So let's take the juice together and then I'll pray. Father, we need you. We trust you. We thank you for your spilled blood. We thank you for your beaten body. Because of that, we can live in life and truth and health. And we have hope for the future because you came out of the grave. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would help us for our hearts to be fully yours and that to influence every particle of our being every day, every second of our lives. May we not just be people that hear things, but we be people that hear and do what you've said. May this be true in us, not just individually, but all of us collectively. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 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 the Son, and the Holy Spirit.